over the last few weeks, we've been looking at what does it mean to live distinct lives, lives that point people to our faith in Jesus, lives that point people to the suffering servant that Jesus is and was, but point people to his victory. And one thing we can definitely take comfort and courage from today is that the book of James is very clear that trials are part of the deal, that we should almost expect them, that our faith is not a fairy godmother faith where we rub something and it all turns out all right, or we say one prayer and everything is perfect again. And I think it's interesting that somehow suffering can feel like a Christian embarrassment at times. We can hear the stories of victory and we can think, ah, if our faith was like that, that would happen in our situation. But actually, James is very clear to the people that he's addressing in the Messianic community, the people who are new followers. He's saying, no, stand firm. Perseverance is part of the deal. That actually we'll need the fruits of the spirit. We'll need patience. We'll need self-control, we'll need all of that to hang on in as he hangs on to us. And James opened the book weeks ago now, if you remember in chapter one, he said we should expect trials of many kinds. Now, um, I don't know about you, but um, there's a a lovely quote uh, that Rebecca McLaughlin says that I found beautiful. She says, suffering is not an embarrassment to our faith. It is the thread with which Christ's name is stitched into all our lives. I'll just read that again. Suffering is not an embarrassment to our faith. It is the thread with which Christ's name is stitched into our lives. And I would add to that his suffering and his victory are part of that. And we're going to unpack that a little bit. How many of you have watched a film that Keanu Reeves is in? Matrix or something like that. Oh, yes, there's a few more now. There's no shame in it, by the way. It's it's okay to watch films, I think. (laughs) I hope, anyway. Um, Keanu Reeves, uh, a great Hollywood star, or so you might uh, think, but actually, let's listen to his story for a moment. He was abandoned by his father at three. He grew up in three different homes with three different stepfathers. He's dyslexic. His dream of becoming a hockey player was shattered by a serious accident. His daughter died at birth. His wife died in a car accident. His best friend, River Phoenix, died of an overdose. His sister battled leukemia. He lived lives now with no bodyguards, no luxury home. He lives an ordinary life in an ordinary apartment and loves to wander around the town, often seen riding the subway in New York. When he was filming the movie The Lake House, he overheard one of the costume assistants crying as he would lose his house if he didn't pay a certain sum of money. On that same day, Keanu deposited the necessary amount into that person's bank account. In 2010, on his birthday, Keanu walked into a bakery and bought a brioche with a single candle and ate it in front of the bakery, offering coffee to anyone who would stop and talk to him. In 1997, paparazzi discovered him walking one morning in the company of a homeless man in Los Angeles, listening to him and sharing stories for a few hours. In life, sometimes the ones that are most broken from the inside are the ones most willing to reach out and help others. What a beautiful demonstration. I have no idea of his faith. It'd be lovely if I could say, and he's a Christian. I don't know that. But he is certainly living out what we're looking at here. That actually, I mean, multiple trials, multiple shaking of the ground beneath him, but actually what has risen from the ashes of that is beautiful. 
is kind, is looking at the people that other people might overlook, is rejecting, if we look at living a distinct life, he's rejecting the consumerists, he's objecting all of the things that actually we might associate with a Hollywood lifestyle, and actually saying, no, I'll give people my time on my birthday. I'll help people to feel seen. Simon Thomas, who many of you might remember from Blue Peter, uh, and, and a sports presenter, if that's your thing. He's back in presenting now, but took a long break due to some very severe mental health challenges and the loss of his first wife. And we're just going to hear him, just a short testimony that uh, Canon J. John uh, drew out of him recently about his trials and who Jesus has been in those. What does Jesus mean to me? Jesus, to me, is like a godly companion. He is someone who is always by my side, even at those times when I don't fully appreciate he's there. He's someone who has always got my back. But ultimately, for me, Jesus is someone who never judges me. He never decides to turn his back on me when I make mistakes. He's someone who has sat with me and alongside me in my darkest moments, whether that was the loss of my first wife, Gemma, back in 2017, or when I encountered some really massive mental health problems that led to me having to walk away from my job in broadcasting for a while. He is God's man here on earth who has been by my side through all those most difficult and darkest of moments. He is the ultimate redeemer. He is the ultimate friend. He is the ultimate encourager. But ultimately, he's the one who gives me hope. And when you have hope, you have nearly everything. Up, he came here actually to Riverside as a student, and his dad prayed with me when I became a Christian. So that's very special to me. Uh, and they're a very special family who've been through incredible trials, but come through. And Simon is very open about the faith that he has in Jesus. And it has credibility, doesn't it, because of his suffering more than his gifting because of what he's been through and how he's endured. So James is right to say that actually we need to look at three things. He says, look at the land. He looks, he gives a farming illustration. He says, look at the word. And that's the living word of Jesus, but it's also the Bible that we've been given to help us in our trials and look to the Lord. And we're going to look at those three areas to help us in all of our trials. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm a pastor here. And one of the absolute privileges of my life is walking with people in their trials. And I don't say that lightly. Even in the last few weeks, I've had two emails that have said things haven't necessarily changed yet in my situation, but I've known the closeness of God. God like never before. And sometimes we just want quick breakthroughs, don't we, if you're anything like me. And he says, look at the farmer. He says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for autumn and spring rains. Now, I was reading up on farming. It may not surprise you that I'm not an expert on farming. Sorry to disappoint. Um, but apparently, you should never become a farmer if you like things to happen quickly. And I've written in my notes, note to self, do not become a farmer. Um, <laughs> Uh, any of you who know me will know I like things quick and I find it hard to take it slow. So I will not be coming a farmer unless the Lord leads me to that. Uh, but no crop happens overnight, I do know that much. And no farmer, as we heard last week from Tim, has control over the weather. There are components external to our suffering that we do not have control over. But we do know someone 
in Jesus who does. And we do have someone who draws close in these trials. And apparently the early rains would soften the ground and the later rain that he talks about would mature the harvest. And that's interesting to me because we live in a day where the ground around us is softened like never before, certainly in my lifetime. And there is broken ground all around us. All of the things that we perhaps a few years ago might have depended on, if you're joining us online, this may be true for you, that actually the things that you put your faith in have somehow let us down. We've lived through a global pandemic. We've lived through uh, a war in Europe and are still living through that. And we're living through the worst cost of living crisis that certainly I can remember. So all of our pillars, the things that we thought we could trust in health and in money and in world peace and in, in the trajectory moving forwards, the ground around us is shaken, isn't it? But that brings opportunity like never before because the ground is soft. The times around us are crying out. The people around us are crying out. Rick Warren says, your successes do not give you credibility. Your suffering is what really gives you credibility. The more honest and vulnerable you are about the suffering in your life, the more powerful your impact can be in people's lives. Now, you might contest that. You might say, well, actually, I think some, you know, success is important. And I'd have that conversation for sure. But do you see what Rick Warren is saying here? And his son committed suicide, so he knows a bit about this. He's saying actually what makes him credible as a leader and a writer and a broadcaster is not so much his successes, it is the fact that people can relate to him through his suffering. And there are people all around us who are in that position too. Rachel Jordan Wolfe's teaching based on data that was recently taken through the Church of England says one in three people would say they are ready for a chat about Jesus. They may have already had one conversation but they are ready. Now, I don't know how they find those statistics, but she spoke to us at a conference this week about the fact that the time is now for having those conversations. And the way in is often through our pain and not through our success, through our struggles. Suffering is missional. Now, that feels brutal to say, but it's true. That we think, and I've thought this, and, and I've shared this before, that if your life is all sort, sorted and shiny and sussed, people will be drawn to Jesus. And there's an element of that that is true, of course. But more often than not, it's in the pain, the fragility, the broken places that actually people are drawn to the Saviour. Because they see us hanging on. They see you today hanging on, trusting in Jesus, trusting in the victories that he can bring and the presence that he will bring in the trial. Uh, Ellie Gardner talks about the current trend in parenting advice. And she said it used to be a little bit that people ran courses advising about parenting and how to do it really well. And she says the trajectory has changed massively, even post-pandemic, to say actually the parenting courses now are much more saying, here's where I got it wrong. How about you in parenting? And I think we need to hear that as church, because as a pastor, I hear so many times people come to me and say, oh, those families, they're all so perfect, aren't they? And I, if only we were like that, but we're not. Well, here's the news again. If you haven't caught it, there isn't a perfect family in this church. I'm sorry <laughs> to break that, but it's true. And we need to take comfort from that and say that we all have our brokenness. We all have our pain. We all have our trials. And our brokenness and our fragility can be a gift that we have in common with 
many people. And I won't go into it now, but some of you know my life fell apart very publicly years ago. It was extremely difficult. And I'd always enjoyed the fact that my life looked shiny and happy and exciting. And I thought, oh, I'll be a witness to my neighbors because I'm always having fun and having a good time. But actually, the greatest witness, probably of my lifetime, happened in the year when at times I couldn't leave the house because people saw people coming, people loving me, people taking hold of me, people bringing me back to life, if you like, and back to hope. And that's the gospel. It's so strange, isn't it? Because we put so much pressure on ourselves to be shiny, happy people all of the time. And yet James says, no, the farmer waits for the harvest. He waits for the rains. The early rains breaking up the soil and the autumn rains bringing harvest from your trials that you can't yet see. And so he's saying to the people, hold on, hold on for the slow and steady and beautiful work. Spring will come in your life, but there will be a harvest. And I think that harvest is linked very much to the fruits of the Spirit, to the beautiful fruits of the Spirit that you can read about in Galatians 5, that actually there are beautiful spirits that will come harvested through your trial that wouldn't have come otherwise, like patience, like perseverance, like joy that doesn't always relate to our circumstances. And then secondly, he says, look to the prophets, look to people like Job, look to people in the Old Testament. And he says that because he knows that that's what Jesus, his brother, did when he was in times of trial and temptation, that he he went to the word of God and he says, look to them, look how they suffered and came through. And actually the prophets are in the Old Testament, in the earlier books of the Bible, uh, in the first uh, episodes, if you like, of the Bible in the Old Testament. And in the book of Haggai, we read that Haggai speaks to the people in the rubble of their lives. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that true today? That in a way, we're speaking to people in the rubble of their lives as they look to build uh, a new temple. And he says uh, in 2 verse 7, I will shake all the nations that the treasures or the desired of all nations may come in. And that treasure, although it says treasures in the Hebrew, could be both singular and plural. In other words, so that Jesus might come in. He is shaking our world more and more, but Jesus will be revealed. And I see that already. I don't know if you see that already. We certainly saw that as church in the pandemic, that people came to know Jesus in their times of trial. When the treasures of your heart disappoint, take hold of the treasure of all nations that is Jesus. Paul in Hebrews says, once more I will shake not only the earth but the heavens so that what cannot be shaken will remain. What is remaining in your life at the moment? Because we're all a bit shaken, but what is remaining? The beautiful things that are remaining that you're clinging to, clinging to the word, clinging to our prayer life, Martin Luther King, when he faced all of the riots around racism and uh, became one of the great ambassadors to look at that, he said these beautiful words as he left one of the, the times where he had spoken for peace. So this is our hope. He's talking about Jesus. This is our hope and this is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we'll be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. 
I mean, boy, was that man gifted with words. But you see Jesus running through what he's saying. You see the passion of someone who's seen the struggles of his people and wants to say there will be a day when you'll be free, but let's struggle together. And that resonates with the gospel of Jesus, that one day we will be ultimately free, united with him in heaven. And the stone of hope he's referring to could well be what Daniel speaks of uh, when he's interpreting a, a vision for the king in the Old Testament. And in that vision, the idolatrous kingdoms of this world are prophesied that they will be smashed by a small rock cut out of a mountain, which then will grow into a mountain of justice and peace that will fill the earth. And again, that's pointing to Jesus, to his kingdom, the kingdom that even if you have the faith of a mustard seed, Jesus said, will grow in your life and will grow in our world. And I really, really long for us to take comfort in the fact that however small and faltering and mustard seed like your faith might feel in your trial, he can do amazing things just with that kernel of faith. There is no doubt in my mind that he chose a mustard seed as an example of the kingdom spreading for a reason. That if you're hanging on by a thread, as many of you are, that actually justice, peace can grow and fill your heart and your home and your life. He talks of a kingdom that will never be destroyed, that will keep growing. Patient endurance. And Jesus himself in the Beatitudes said, blessed are you when people insult you, when they say all kinds of things about you. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For the same way they persecuted the prophets before you, trust what the Lord will finally bring about. And certainly if anyone knew about that, it's Job, isn't it, in the Old Testament as well. And he gets a mention from James. Job, the one who is known for his suffering in so many ways. But actually in the book of Job, and it's worth a read if you can uh, stay with it, God is always at work in the unseen places. He's at work backstage, underneath, if you like. He's doing things that Job can't see. All the time, he's through the trial. And Job has his comforters. And I think there's a a message for us as church today, because we're all pastors ultimately here, that actually there's a message that Job's comforters say, well, what went wrong for you, Job? You know, was it generational sin? Is a bit of a lack of faith going on? Are they the kind of friends that we need or want to be in church? No. And actually, um, Rachel, uh, as one of our trustees and myself, went uh, on a mental health awareness day for church yesterday. Brilliant day where we were being challenged about how we do better as church with mental health. Why? Because the church does not have a strong history on it. The church globally, nationally, and probably even this church, in, in our own experience, we can do better around mental health. Why? Because we perhaps try and talk people around. We perhaps try to quickly, not trusting the slow work, to solve it. And sometimes breakthroughs happen suddenly, and sometimes people live for years and need healing. And interestingly, part of that healing is often about the presence of God through his people. The presence of God, not the advice but the presence of God through his people, sitting with us, crying with us, doing the slow, steady journey. And it ends well because Job, after all of his struggles in the seen and the unseen, he says this, he said, my ears had heard of you, but now I have seen you. And I wonder if you reflect on your life and on the trials perhaps that you've been in historically, how true that is. For me, that is so true. 
that actually the times of trial have been the times when God has been closest, almost so that when the trial passes, you almost kind of miss the closeness because the truth of our gospel is that Jesus suffers with us, comes into our pain and draws close to us. Even when Job, like he was all of the things he was relying on went, but actually he found his God faithful in the end. I am... had a lovely mum, very funny mum, a very, very loving mum, a very wayward mother who went through all sorts of things in our life, including trying many other different faiths and divination and all sorts of quite interesting things, but quite tricky things at times. And then she was diagnosed with cancer in her 60s and I don't know whether fought is the right phrase now, really, but she certainly had five years where she came through that Uh, cancer diagnosis and was well again and I was itinerant at the time going around telling people about Jesus and I would always share how I believed that God was going to heal my mum that we were seeing it through the medics and through the prayers of the charity that I was part of at the time and I would testify and testify and testify and then after five years of being declared cancer free she went in for a routine operation and and died Um, really just because of a, a deep vein thrombosis that happened And I was mad, and I was mad with God, and I was mad. And the vicar at the time, who was lovely, and I say that if he's watching, um, he came to our house, and I said, but we prayed for healing. I testified. I've been doing it nationally. I've been around saying God has healed our mum. Why would this happen? There's a mistake of the hospital. I don't understand. And he said, oh, she's had the ultimate healing. I didn't smack him, but I wanted to. So well done, God. (laughs) Um, But the feeling of rage when he said that was, well, no, that's not what I ordered. You know, that wasn't the prayer. It's all very well for you to say that, but that wasn't my prayer. Sincerely, I wanted my mum with me, and I still miss her. But actually, in those five years, my my mum came to faith. In those five years, we drew closer as a family. My mum read a book by Philip Yancey about wandering and suddenly nailed her colours to the mast after years of wandering and prayed a prayer saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So when my mum died, there was no doubt in my mind where she was, that she was in heaven with Jesus. Years before, I would not have had a clue (laughs) with some of the stuff she'd been involved with. I would have been concerned, put it that way. But when she died, I knew. And somebody phoned me and said, I just feel these words, Judy. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Blessed assurance that her trials on this life are over. Now, Job saw things from his perspective, and I certainly learned a lot through that trial, and my theology around suffering has changed for sure. And I think probably walking around, there were some things that I said that I hope didn't mislead people, but were certainly sincere. But life has shown me that actually in our trials, God is always doing a beautiful thing that we can't yet see. And finally, James says, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Compassion in the church Latin means passion, means to suffer, and com means with. Compassion means to suffer with, to suffer with. So when James says, God, the Lord is full of compassion, he means he suffers with you. Not just that he's full of compassion, but he suffers with you in your trial. He is with you today in your trial, and he has mercy for you. 
And if we are to be a church of compassion, and I hope and long that we will, we suffer with people being that gentle, practical, loving presence for one another and never giving up praying for breakthrough. Never giving up. And I love that in this church, seeing people not only holding on, but those around them holding on in prayer for breakthrough, not giving up, persevering. In Revelation 3, verse 20, we hear, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and eat with that person and they with me. And we often talk about that, and it is a beautiful way of thinking, actually, if there's someone who's wondering about Christ, that he's always there at the door, knocking at the door to come into your life, to rewrite your story with his power, with his compassion, with his presence. That's who he is. But also, there interpretations of this that say he wants to enter in with you now to eat with you in your trial to be at your table if you like in your struggles he will come in and Jesus is the one who left heaven to come to earth as the incarnate visibility of the love and forgiveness that we know in God he is that compassion he is that mercy And I was reading, thinking, it's one thing to know the truth of the resurrection, isn't it? As we approach Easter, we'll be be sharing that there are over 500 testimonies that people met with the risen Jesus. More evidence than Julius Caesar walking about, but we don't say, or do we believe in Julius Caesar? There is evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, there's no doubt. But Tim Keller says it's something else. He said it's one thing to know the truth of the resurrection, historically, but it is something else to know the power of his resurrection in all that we face and I believe there's a call on us in our trials to say I'm trusting that resurrection hope I'm trusting the patterns of scripture that are reveal reverse restore because God is a God of ultimate restoration and when we're in reverse like Job or the prophets we can't see it but actually that's the pattern of scripture that's the pattern of the life of Jesus that he was born incarnate to come into our mess to come to our table to come into your struggles and he died for that struggle he died for our sin he died for the sin that have sinned against us and he rose again and in Gethsemane he said if it's possible take this from me if anyone understood our struggles it's him he said if it's possible take this away from me I can't do it without you but not my will but yours and then he comes in victory that resurrection hope that you and I can know not only for those we pray for but for ourselves and for our nation that is crying out for that stone of hope we're saying where all the stones around us that we were putting our our trust in seem to have gone so where do we go we go to Jesus and those one in three people that we talked about at the end at the beginning are in your lives They're on your street, they're where you work, they're in your college, they're in your school. They're within reach of you. And all it takes is you perhaps to say, do you know, I'm really struggling today. I've prayed a lot this morning because I am struggling. Rather than, hello, I'm a bright, shiny Christian, and you know, coming in like that. No, coming in and say, actually, I'm, I'm hanging on by a thread here. I'm finding parenting really hard. Are you? That's a way in. That's a, an olive branch. That's something to say. But the difference is I know where my hope is. My hope is in Jesus. My hope is in his power. And our world desperately needs to hear that. We fellowship with Christ. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of suffering in his sufferings. The resurrection is an invasion remaking you and I from the inside out. That's what he's doing. Even as we face suffering. 
Psalm 118 says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. As we look at our global rubble, as we look at our personal rubble in our lives, the stone is here, the cornerstone, the one you can trust, the one that you can build your life on, that even in the trials will never let go of us, is compassionate, is close, is dwelling in us. So if we go back to Rebecca's quote at the very beginning, not only is the name of Jesus stitched in the story of our lives through his suffering, but so too through his victory over death. Out of the ashes we rise, we, we sing. And that is true of our lives, that in the rubble, beautiful things will grow. Out of the rubble will come treasure. Jesus is the true treasure who is one over death, one over sickness, one over debt, one over hunger, one over loss, one over our human pain. He is our hope. He's the Lord of the harvest. There is a valuable crop coming in victory now and ever. Mags Duggan, who wrote a brilliant book called God Among the Ruins, which I'm just uh, discovering, says, Biblical hope is not an escape from reality. We are in it rather a springboard into the courage to face our reality with confidence that God is present and active and doing something that we may not understand now, but which one day will be fully revealed in all of its wisdom. And as we come to a close, we really want to encourage you today to go for prayer. We have a brilliant prayer team here, or there may be people that you've come with, that you just need that strengthening of your heart today, that reminder that hope will come again, the reminder that actually the spring rain will be followed by the autumn rains, the maturing of the crop, the precious gifts in your trial that we don't yet understand, that we can't yet see. And that as you're holding on by your fingertips, some of you, he's holding on to you. I always think of Superman with Lois Lane, you know, <laughs> when, when uh, he, he gets caught, you know, if, if somebody's got you, who's, who's got you? That's a terrible explanation, ignore it. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll finish instead with the words of J.R.R. Tolkien, a little bit more upmarket. Um, because in this, we hear an, an amazing kind of captive picture of heaven that Sam has, where all of the things in The Lord of the Rings, where he's seen all of his plans fail and everything that he tried to do go wrong, we read this. The beauty of this smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him again. For like a shaft clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing, that there was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach.